Welcome everybody to the Mets News Podcast, where we talk all things Mets, anything I feel like talking about. Now today's episode, mostly, before we get to the entertainer, we're going to bring up the Eagles and their plans and all this other crap. And basically, my thoughts are this, and it's going to be short and sweet. The Eagles cost the game. They, they tossed it. They shouldn't have done it. And the Giants deserve what they got. I mean, you're relying on your division rival. Um, most of my people, I'm going to quote here, the, Coach Weber, I'm just going to quote some stuff, said that it was a disgrace that this happened to Washington. And here we go. I'm going to read everyone's thoughts. Coach Weber said, and I quote, it's a shame that this happened to Washington because it takes away from his story. I think Doug Peterson is a good coach, but when... I understand also why benching Fletcher Cox, who's battling a neck injury, sitting him out. But whoever suits up, the coach has, is expected to do everything in his expectations to win the game. And I, again, Will Algard said the, that the same thing. The draft expert said that the Giants should stop whining because they're 6-10. and 10. And I agree with him. The Giants should stop whining. If everything catches that damn ball, we're not even talking about this. He said he doesn't like the move and that Doug Peterson, the only reason why he did this was to keep his job and to be the fall guy. Um, good organizations like the Steelers, Browns, good not Browns, Steelers, Packers, Patriots, they have a winning culture. The reason why the Eagles won the Super Bowl, you can make the case in 2017, was because of a good culture. They didn't have the talent to win. And you know what? I agree with what everyone's saying. But the, the fact of the matter is, the Giants put themselves in this situation. It took away from Washington. Whoever wins this, we, and by the way, Coach Weber said this best. We've known Nick Sudfeld for years, all right? We don't know who Hurts is, and that's why you should play Hurts. But the Eagles are stupid, all right? They're, they have a stupid head coach that should have been fired. And I think the Eagles are going in the wrong direction. But you could make the case that that's it, that there's nothing we can do about it. The Giants, they, if everything catches that damn ball, we're in the playoffs. And I told Bobby Skinner, Skinner, excuse me, a few weeks ago, when he was on, this was going to cost us a season. And it did. And I really just don't want to talk about it because this podcast is coming out on Sunday. And, you know, I think everyone made valid points. I don't think the Eagles were trying to win the game. I don't think, I think the draft expert made a great point in that text message he sent me. I don't think they thought they were going to be in the game. And that Doug Peterson had a script. It just, it just didn't work out. But again, you have to adjust from the script. I've been taught from those guys and my and the college coach I have that you play to win the game, all right? You play to win the game. You know, I understand sitting out players. And he made a point. No one's upset that the Steelers did it. Well, the Steelers were in the playoffs, all right? I understand that, that, that aspect too. But no one's upset that they sat Ben. And I understand that. But at the same time, I'm not a fan. I'm not a I'm just, I'm not a fan of how Doug Peterson handled it. I think that this takes away from Hurts. You don't know if you have a quarterback or not. Because what if he has an Eli Manning moment in 2004 and he goes down the field to win? And you know that's it. I was I told that to Gabe DeGay. Hey, Gabe's not happy about it either. And Gabe's an Eagles fan. He was disgusted. And that's it. So this has been a quick my thoughts about what Doug Peterson did slash you know the Giants again. I'll say this a million times. Put themselves in this situation. It's not right with what they did. I don't agree with it, what the Eagles did, but I understand it. Would I have starred Nick Sudfeld from the get-go? Yeah, would I have said, hey, Nick Sudfeld's playing the second half? Yeah, I, I would have. But it's just a disgrace because there were rumors that, that players had to be held back and from Doug Peterson. Your one job is to coach a football team. I'll close with this. 
and then we'll get to the entertainer. Your one job is to coach a football team. And when you're the head coach of a football team or a manager or a coach in basketball, your job is to play with the players. And once you lose, and the draft expert said this, once you lose the locker room, too, I'm quoting him here, it's very hard to get it back. And I agree with them. The Eagles just made a boneheaded decision. They really did. And that's really all I got. And I think that now the Giants have the momentum to win the East. They make a few moves, and that's it. And by the way, the Giants kept Patrick Graham, so they're off to a good start. And I do believe Jason Garrett should be bought back after sitting on it. If Jason Garrett had some playmakers, I think the offense would have been better. And I know that's an unpopular decision, but if you want Daniel Jones to succeed next season, he has to stay in. And I think Daniel Jones, before he got hurt, thrived in that offense. Take a look at it. Baltimore, he did okay. Dallas, he did great. And I think it's time for him to take that next step. And if Dave Gettleman, who's brought back, which I got into with the entertainer, you know, if he doesn't produce next year, then that's it. All right? We'll see what happens. But it's put up or shut up time next year for Daniel Jones, Dave Gettleman, Evan Ingram, uh, Saquon Barkley, and that's it. But yes, everyone said, everyone's saying, the Giants are whining because they, they're complaining because, because the Eagles threw the game. We're not complaining because of that. We just didn't like the way it was handled. The Giants, if Evan Ingram catches that ball, we, we, we're 7-9. and nine. If the referees don't call some plays back against Dallas and the defense holds up, we're 8-8. Eight and eight. But as I say, shoulda, coulda, woulda, the Giants put themselves in that situation, and that's all I got. Now we're going to take a break, and then it's on to the entertainer talking sports. Thank you for listening, and I hope everyone's staying safe. I know this week was crazy, and that's it. Stay safe. Have a good one. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Mets News Podcast. You just heard from our beautiful sponsor, Anchor, um, the easiest way to make a podcast. And uh, let's welcome in my first phone interview, uh, Chris the Entertainer. We are both on the phone. He's a great YouTube content maker. I get a lot of my Giants news from him during the offseason. Him and Bad Dog also do a great streaming. I think that he said in his last stream he'll be doing uh, the championship chip stream with him and he'll, he also does his own streams with the Knicks and Mets. Chris, how you doing? Hey man, I, I appreciate you for reaching out to me, having me on, man. Um doing well. Any anytime I get an opportunity to uh talk New York sports, I hop at the opportunity. Uh this is gonna be a fun day because the Mets got Lindor. How you feeling about that? Oh man. Uh <laughs> yeah, like you said, I'm a big Mets fan, Knicks fan, Giants fan and um you know I I knew when we got Cohen you know, obviously he's got uh, he's got he's worth fourteen billion dollars. He's more he's worth more than the next three owners combined. And you know, you're entering New York. You got the Yankees. You know that the Mets are going to try to you know put their mark on things, show that they're ready ready to compete with the big boys. Um, they made the McCann signing earlier earlier this year, which was you know it's a pretty good signing. It didn't get anybody like you know really excited. And you knew that they were, they, they had some bullets in the gun. Um, you know, I thought they'd go go more the free agency route. Didn't see a trade in the works. But we end up going out there and getting one of the best players in baseball. Um, four-time All-Star, uh, 30 home runs, four consecutive years, uh, uh, two-time gold glover, plays the shortstop spot. It's going to be the best shortstop we've had since Jose Reyes. Probably gonna, he's probably even better than Jose Reyes. Um, and, 
he's just going to fortify this lineup, man. And, and, and on top of that, we get Carrasco. And we needed another arm. You know, Syndergaard, you know, not too sure when he's going to be back. And uh, I'm excited, man. Again, if you look at the Mets rotation now, and we'll, we'll get to Windor, obviously. If you look at the Mets rotation now, I mean, it's pretty solid. We don't know when Syndergaard's coming back, but you add Carrasco, you have DeGrom, and I think is going to be a starting pitcher, and I, we forget about Stroman. This rotation has a chance to be a pretty good rotation. And I, I think Stroman, it's a contract year. He's going to pitch very, very well. But yeah, how do you feel... And, and- and uh, Peterson, too, don't forget. It was pretty good. Oh, uh, uh, Peterson, I, he, he's young, too. He's young, and I, he has all the stuff to be a three or four, five, a three, four or five guy. And the Mets really, if Stroman pitches like an ace, Syndergaard comes back, they could have a three-headed monster. I mean, if you think about it. Because all of those guys have, at one point have pitched Saw Young baseball. Syndergaard in 16, DeGrom the past two years, the best pitcher in baseball, hands down. And Stroman, before coming to the Mets, I think in 2016, he pitched almost in the Cy Young conversation. So the Mets have one of the best rotations in baseball on paper. If Syndergaard comes back and he's any Syndergaard, I, I agree. I mean, uh, Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in the sport. I don't even think it's close. I mean, in terms of his consistency, the guy's on another level. I worry about the bullpen. You know, we definitely got some names in that bullpen, but obviously last year, Batances was, you know, alarming um edwin diaz pretty good i still you know he's not exactly what i was hoping for he was obviously a bust his first year i think he pitched into some bad luck but i still think he's pretty mm-hmm. good um i know we added an arm in the bullpen uh, i can't remember his name off the top man we had an arm in the trevor bullpen. May. trevor man that's right and uh, he's kind of pitched in the high twos low threes the last couple of years but um yeah we need i think we need Maybe it won't happen preseason maybe it will um but we're definitely i think gonna need to add a little help to that bullpen I don't trust Edwin Diaz. I really don't. And again, I, the trade, I mean, I think that's one of the worst trades in franchise history. Oh, Cano God. never panned out. That's why Brody doesn't have a job. Oh, he stinks, man. When the Mets, listen, I want to, to, to detox this new trade. When Brody was first hired, I, I was sort of drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I don't know about you thinking, oh, this guy's going to be great. He speaks, we're going to be champions, come get us. But man, he killed the yeah. team in the long run. He definitely talked the talk. Uh, he didn't walk it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm glad that we got Cohen, though. And um, I definitely, you know, getting Alderson back here. Uh, I, I, and I was I, I was never in love with Alderson, but I think he's good uh, for the current situation. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's, a, he's a little too analytically driven for me. I like analytics, but I don't like, you know, I, 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 I like it as a tool. Um, not the whole tool bag, which is, I think mm-hmm. Alderson's a little too much leaning towards analytics, but um, I'm very happy with this team. And, and um, I, I still think we're going to add another major piece. Um, I think Springer, I, I really do. I think we're going to go out there. We're going to get George Springer. I know uh, it's been rumored uh, us in the blue Jays and um, we need a center fielder. You know, we, we were talking about it before it cut out earlier. Um, Nimmo, Nimmo. He, he doesn't get it done. Not with the glove. And um, yeah, I mean, we go out there and get Springer, man. You, you, you take a look at this potential lineup. I mean, it's hard to find a better one. It, it really is. And I think Pete Alonso has a chip on his shoulder. Don Smith, I, I've said this all along, if he would like lose weight, which he did lose the weight, 
he would be a great player. And obviously, you know, he did an interview, I think a few weeks ago with SNY. And he said, listen, when I lost the weight, and I think he had a sleeping problem. He also, when I got this all figured out, I felt more confident, my swing, I was running faster. So you have him, Davis, who I think is going to be our third baseman, McNeil at second, Conforto. Do you, what's your thoughts on Conforto? I mean, do you think this is a fluky season or do you think he finally found it? I've always liked Conforto. Um, I think he's got a beautiful swing. Um, the thing with Conforto throughout his career, for the most part, he's been very streaky. Like, he, he would go, like, six weeks, and he'd be unbelievable. Like, one of the best players in baseball. And then he'd do nothing for a month. Um, so, I don't know if I'm completely sold on him, but I like Conforto. I, 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 I think is a very good baseball player. It's just a matter of him maturing and getting better. And I think adding some of these bats, you know, you add a guy like Lindor and uh, potentially a guy like Springer, it's only going to help him. You know, it's going to, it's going to fill out the lineup. It's going to give him more protection. Um, I'm a big fan of Conforto. Always have been one of my favorite players on the team. And um, yeah, I think he's got a good year for the match. I, he, the thing, like you said, he's very streaky and I don't know if it was, this was 60 games. And I know Lindor had a bad year last year with 60 games too. You can't, I think you have to take every season with a pinch of salt when it's that short. And I think that really covers everything with the Mets. I, w- I wanted to get your thoughts on the Giants because they really had a good season. I think they're trending in the right direction. What, what did you think? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if you watch my channel, uh, they literally did. That's why I can't complain. Like a lot of Giants fans want to run Gettleman out of town. And some people may call me a Gettleman apologist. I don't like everything the guy does, but what they did this offseason, they did exactly what I wanted. I knew that they needed to pay heavy focus on the offensive line. They went out there, they did that. They drafted three offensive linemen in the first five rounds. They thought long-term. They got themselves the future left tackle. Um, and who knows what Lemieux and Parrott are going to end up being. Loved what they did in free agency. And, and I'm not even necessarily talking about the players, even though it worked out. But just the strategy of short-term contracts. You keep that cap flexibility open long-term to retain players, hopefully, like Jones and Barkley, if they prove to be worth it. Um, but obviously, the Bradbury signing was terrific. Uh, the Martinez signing, Logan Ryan, um, flipping of Marcus Golden for basically a free sixth-round pick, extending the before the year started. Like, it, it, it was a very awesome. And when you look at our schedule going into the year, you factor in a new head coach, you factor in a new scheme on both sides of the ball. I don't think you could have expected more than five or six wins. And that's what you got, you know. We played well in the division. Easily could have won all six games. And, uh, you know, the only thing that, yeah, I guess a little bit to be desired is the quarterback. Um, even though I like Jones, I still like Jones. I'm not in love with him. He's got to, you know, he's got to show me more. But um, I, I was hoping for a little bit more from Daniel Jones. But other than that, I mean, the defense definitely exceeded expectations. The offensive line got progressively better. And I, I like the fact that they're moving forward with this regime. And the the good news is the Mets, uh, not the Mets, the Giants kept Patrick Graham, which I'm a huge fan of. And I, I think you really covered everything. I think Dave Gettleman on the first year was kind of pressured into keeping Eli Manning. I think the Mayor family wanted to keep him, wanted to give Eli Manning one last championship. And I think you have said that in the past. So I think 2019 was his first year of really taking control of the team. 
And I, I think really he's done a great job. Yes, six wins is not going to cover it next year. The Giants have to take that next step forward. But I, I really think they do. What is your thoughts on Jason Garrett? Because, you know, after Gettleman, I think he's the most debated. Yeah, um, I think Garrett got put in a really bad spot. Like, I always try to be fair. Like, I know the fan base despises Garrett, it seems. Um, I think he got put in a really bad spot. I think, you know, obviously with, you know, having a young quarterback, having to learn a new scheme, we all know our limitations at the wide receiver position. It's why everybody's saying, you know, you got to draft wide receivers. Having 60% of that offensive line being brand new to start the year. Cam Fleming had never played here. Obviously had a rookie uh, tackle in um, Andrew Thomas and Nick Gates had never played the center spot before. So you knew with a new quarterback having to learn a completely new scheme, Barkley going down after week two, 60% of the offensive line never playing with one another. You knew it was going to be a rocky start. Um, and it was. And the offense didn't really click all year outside of the running game. We never really had much consistency in the past game. I know people talk about the uh, the route the routes. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it's justified. But I'm not one of those guys that says it's all Garrett. I, I think it's a culmination of a lot of things. Um, but he's part of it. And if they move on from Garrett, I'm okay with it as long as Joe, if that's Joe Judge's decision and Gettleman's decision, and they think it's in the best interest of the quarterback. But if you listen to Gettleman yesterday uh, during the press conference, he basically came out and he said that he thought it was a tremendous disadvantage that Jones had to learn a third scheme in three years, which to me kind of hints at, I don't want to put him through that again. But at the same time, Garrett's obviously getting interviewed with the Chargers. And we'll see. It didn't seem like the Giants are rushing to get Garrett out of town. But by the same token, Garrett may very well take a job if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, and, and here's the thing with, with uh, Garrett. I'll, I'll use Bobby Skinner because he was on the podcast a few like, a few months ago. I can't believe I'm saying that. He does not like Jason Garrett. And I'm kind of, you know, in the middle. Like, do I like that he does that stick route to Evan Ingram that causes all that interceptions? No, but really, what playmakers did he have? Sterling Shepard, I don't think, is a number one wide receiver. Again, he he proved me wrong in that Dallas game, but to me, he's a good number two. Evan Ingram is not a good wide receiver. Look at how many interceptions he caused. We could write a book about him, and I'm going to ask you about Evan Ingram in a minute. But who else did we really have? I mean, Darius Slayton took a step back. Dante Pettis didn't come out for a couple games, and I like Dante Pettis. But I think you give him another year, and if it doesn't work out, then you fire him. And if it doesn't work out next year, Jason Garrett and Dave Gettleman, is, they're gone. And we're drafting a new quarterback. But what's your thoughts on Evan Ingram? Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm completely with you on that. If it was up to me and Garrett, and, and Garrett doesn't get a job, I would be completely fine with keeping it all together. I don't want a lot of change. I want this team to grow up with what they learned this year. Um, and I'm with you. I think, and I also think Barkley going down, like people don't talk about that enough. Like the entire offense was going to revolve around Saquon Barkley. You take him out of that offense. Jones is another quarterback. Uh, the receivers aren't as effective because Barkley's not, the, you know, Wayne Dahl was not the same threat that Saquon Barkley is. But as far as Evan Ingram goes, listen, he's an enigma. You know, he'll have some games where he looks like the best tight end in football for three and a half quarters, and then and then it'll cost you the game. And you're absolutely right. I, I don't. I'm not saying the guy doesn't have talent. He clearly has talent. He has mental lapses. He has a lot of drops. 
The other thing, uh, even though it didn't happen this year, he has an extensive injury history. He's missed 14 games uh, through his first four years now in the NFL. I'm almost mm-hmm. this season's worth of games. But you talk about, I mean, look look at all the games he cost us. You can't have your tight end costing you or nearly costing your football games. He nearly cost us the last game. He cost us the Eagles game. He, you know, he caused a number of turnovers throughout the year. Um, you know, you think back, there's at least, what, four or five interceptions that are probably on Ingram, um, not to mention the fumble. The Cincinnati fumble? Uh, I, was, I think it was the 49er game early in the year where they threw the pitch play and it hit Ingram right in the face. Um yeah, the Cincinnati fumble as well, actually. Good point on that one. I kind of chalked that more up to the defender, if I'm being fair. I thought he got his hand in there and made a really nice play. But still, mm-hmm. Ingram for the year, incredibly underwhelming. And then you couple the fact that you're putting Evan Ingram in a scheme that is supposed to really focus on the tight end. So, you know, with the Air Coriel with Garrett, you saw what he did with Witten uh, throughout his career. Kellen Winslow with the Chargers back in the day when that when that's uh, system-oriented. And I really thought Ingram was going to have every opportunity in the world to have a career year this year, and, and he didn't. He was he, – him and Slayton, if I'm being fair, uh, were severely disappointing. But I, I would say Ingram more so. The shots he took with Darius Slayton this year, let, let's be fair, he dropped a lot of passes. The only passes I can really remember him catching that were significant were week one against the Steelers. Yeah. Remember he caught that beautiful ball – and then that, when we beat the Philadelphia Eagles, he made that great catch. There were right. many games where Darius Slayton, uh, the Cincinnati game comes to mind. I, I think he yeah, might have no, dropped one in ball, well, Baltimore too. Uh, against the Ravens, he had a bad drop on the on the on the ball down the left sideline. Yep, and to me, it's like he's not a number one. I think was he even a number two though? I, I mean, where do you think we he hope. is, Darius Slayton? We hope. Um, I'll say this, going into next offseason to me, and if you watch my channel, I am not a wide receiver guy in terms of early draft capital. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm much more in the trenches. I'm much more uh, pass rusher, cornerback. That's my mindset. I I don't view the wide receiver as a top five or maybe maybe the fifth or sixth most impactful position on, on, on a team. But when I look at this New York Giants team right now, my mission going into 2021 has to be to find out whether or not Daniel Jones is the guy. I can't go into 2022 and not, not have a better grasp on the situation and knowing what, whether he's not or he is. Um, and if I'm Gettleman, i got to do everything in my power to get him some weapons. And I, Slayton right now, the only receiver, and it's a goal depending on what they do at that position and free agency in the draft, but the only guy, in my opinion, that is safe at the wide receiver spot in terms of being a starter going into next year is Sterling Shepard. Exactly. Um, I, I think Golden State's going to be cut. Um, I'd like Dante Pettis back. You brought him up. Looked really good the last two games where he got an opportunity. I don't, I'm not saying I want him to be a starter, but I think he could be a nice player for them, maybe a depth wide receiver. Um, Slayton probably will start, even if they, you know, they may have to be focused on the draft. But I wouldn't say it's 100%. Because if, if they go out there and add, you know, one guy I've talked about a lot in free agency is, um, what's his name? The, the, uh, the guy. Uh, uh, Corey uh, Davis from uh, Tennessee. If they mm-hmm. go out there at a guy like that, you know, because he's a little cheaper than, you know, the high-end wide receivers like Allen Robinson and Galladay, and I think we all know they're not going to have a ton of, of cap space because of the uh, virus. Um, it cut into everybody's salary cap because, you know, you didn't have the uh, money coming from the, from the attendance. But if you had a guy like Corey Davis um, and then maybe you draft a guy, you know, like Waddle 
or somebody like that in the draft, I think Slayton goes to the bench. I just, I like Darius Slayton his rookie year, but I think he only played eight games and the league makes adjustments. Every league makes adjustments, but I just, I don't see him. I think, I think he's a great death piece, but I just, I can't rely on him next year. And yeah, I think um, what Slayton showed you is right now, and he might be a two, because if you get say say they get one of these great wide receivers, say they sign Allen Robinson and he takes the coverage away from Slayton, maybe Slayton in a two is better when he doesn't have that kind of coverage. So I won't completely say he can't be a two, but I think what he showed you this year, definitively, at least at this point in his career, he's not even close to a one. Yeah. And I think that next, maybe I'll, I'll ask your opinion here. Would you have a competition if there's a preseason next year, him and Dante Pettis to see who's the number two wide receiver to start the season? I mean, if Joe Judge holds true to his word, he's going to put the best guys on the field. So I don't think, based off this year, um, I don't think Slayton, I, I would put him as the favorite if it's between him and Dante Pettis, but I don't think he's earned the right to be penciled in as a starter uh, based off how he performed this past year. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And speaking about division rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles kind of, I don't want to, they didn't cost us to get into the postseason. But what's your thoughts on what the Eagles did? Because I was ticked off, especially being a coach. Oh, you're, I know you're a coach. You're a coach. Yeah, I'm a coach at Penn State. Oh, awesome, man. Um, yeah, baseball coach. It's... Oh, it's awesome, man. Um, I'll say as far as uh, that goes, man, I'll tell you what. Yeah, like you said, you know, and, and I think Eagles fans took it the wrong way because Joe Judge came out, he made that video, and Eagles fans, oh, he's complaining, he's bitching that they, you know, why didn't you win more games? But that wasn't how Joe Judge was talking. The way Joe Judge was talking in that video was as if he was the Eagles coach. And he felt like the Eagles, Doug Peterson, let his players down. And, and I completely agree. Um, and I'm, I'm a, as a Giants fan, I'm ecstatic because I think Peterson's lost that locker room. I mean, you, you listen to Kelsey after the game, you listen to everybody. It's one thing, you know, and to, to rest some of your guys that are a little bit banged up, whatever, right? But the guys that start that game are going in there. They're giving you everything they got. And like Judge kind of hit home with was, you know, especially in a year like this with the pandemic and all the sacrifices these guys got to make, they're putting their bodies on the line. And for you in a close game like that, it's not like they were getting blown out. It's not like they were blowing Washington out. You go for it on fourth and goal at the four, which, you know, the players are like, why is he doing this? You could have tied the game with a field goal. And then you take out the quarterback. So I think it was clearly obvious after the game that um, he was tanking that Peterson was tanking and that he didn't really give a shit about his players' feelings. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that they did that. But, yeah, I think Doug Peterson was completely wrong. Yeah, totally. The only thing I'll say is Doug Peterson goes for it a lot on fourth down, so that really didn't surprise me. But when he took out Hearns, number one, aren't you trying to see if he's the QB of the future, right? Am I not wrong there? Of course. Like, this would be a good experience for him. Right. You Great experience for him. Because I yeah. remember Eli Manning, 
his rookie year, I, I started watching the Giants. Well, from I can, I've been a Giants fan my whole life. 2006 is the first season I can remember, but I was watching film of Eli Manning. He played the Dallas Cowboys in a meaningless game his rookie year and led them down the field to a game-winning touchdown. Everyone was like, all right, this is the guy of the future. What if Hearns has that moment? You know, like th- that was my thought process. Oh, I, I agree with you. Uh, the only thing I, I'm trying to justify it. I mean, other than just tanking, um, maybe the, maybe the other thing it hurts isn't the guy and they're going to draft a quarterback at sixth overall. And they want to make sure they're in that position. I don't know. Uh, I, I just think right now you look at that Eagles organization and they are a complete mess. Um, you know, the whole Carson Wentz situation, the way they handled that, their, their cap space is awful uh, going forward. I think they got negative $60 million in cap space right now. Uh, the drafting of Jalen Hurts this year in the second round, was that was a head-scratcher. Um, and you just look at that Eagles team right now, and now you couple it with the fact that they've lost the locker room, in my opinion. And now you're going to have a GM who I think they should fire. I think Howie Roseman's done a horrible job in terms of handling the, um, the, cap, the cap space on that team, backloading all those contracts. It looks like they're bringing him back. And it looks like they're bringing Peterson back. So I look at the Eagles situation right now, and I I myself, that's a team that should be rebuilding. That's a team that should be breaking it down. And I see them making the same mistake the Giants did when they didn't elect to break it down, like in 17, when they probably should have started to do that. And they tried to, you know, make Band-Aid fixes. And I I, I see them going down that same path. Um, I think the Eagles are in big trouble. They are in big trouble. And I think – my draft expert who does my drafts here on my podcast said it best there. You could play Hertz next season or Hertz, whatever his name is, and then go to the rookie quarterback that you draft And nine to six. Isn't really that big of a jump. And also who, who do you think they're really going to get at six? The, the big guy's gone. What's his name? Trevor Lawrence well, is going to be gone. Trevor Lawrence will be gone. Um, and then you'll Fields have, will be uh, gone. Fields are probably gone. Maybe you get Zach Wilson, um, or maybe you get um, uh, Trey Lance. Yeah, but that, that's a that's a big if, and I I just I don't know why you did that. That that just sends a bad message to the locker room. And I've been taught as a coach that you have to be the players' guy. You that's the, really the only thing in today's world that the coach has to deal with is managing a clubhouse or a locker room. And I, I just think that was a stupid move. I think he's a stupid head coach, to be honest with you. He coached for two-point conversions all the time. And I, I don't know, man. It, it benefits the Giants, which I'm happy about. But, again, the game was on national television. and But it just embarrassed the NFL. It, are, are you in agreement there, too, that that just gives the NFL a bad look? Oh, it was a complete disgrace. Um, it was a complete disgrace to the NFL. Um and the, Eagles, and the Eagles knew what they were doing all week. Um, I mean, I'm not surprised. The Eagles don't have the best of reputations. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I, I don't look at it like – it's not like you're playing for the first pick, right? If they, if they were if they were like 2-14 and 14 or 2-13 and, and if they lost, they were going to get Trevor Lawrence, I can understand it more. You're talking about the sixth pick. 9-6 it's, it's is not that big of a deal. Uh, to the point where you potentially risk, first off, like you said, if Hurts is your guy going forward, 
you're losing a valuable experience there for him, right? The Eli thing was a perfect, you know, comparison. That was a monumental um, building block for Eli Manning in his rookie year in a meaningless game. That throw that game-winning touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys, and to just throw that possibility away in a close game like that against a division rival doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's just, it's just not the way to go about doing things. And Doug Peterson to me is one of the worst coaches in football. I've been saying it all year. Every time I, I uh, call, call an Eagles game, his decisions to go for on fourth down, his two-point conversions, I mean, he, he's just a bad coach. And I'm glad he's with the Eagles. Me too. And I, I could just – the Eagles are going to be in the same position the Giants were in. I really do, like you said earlier, they're the 2017 Giants to a T, in my opinion. Injuries, older guys, benching a quarterback, which – what is your opinion on Carson Wentz? I ask everybody this. Do you think that he can be fixed, or do you think he's just not good? I think he'd be fixed. Um, I, I I don't think he could be fixed in Philadelphia. But I think with a change of scenery, I think he could still probably be a good quarterback. The thing you got to worry about with him, obviously, is the injury history. But – I, I, and you know what, this is definitely a knock on Wentz as well, because he didn't have the, um, I guess, the mental fortitude. But I think them drafting Hurst really screwed him up. Because um, I, 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 I think he looked at it like, listen, I, I was about to win an MVP in 2017. <laughs> I led you to the playoffs the next two years. And I played really well in 2019. Like, I carried that team. You guys had no wide receivers. And then you go out there and draft Jalen Hurts. And I think that's screwed with his head. I really do. Um, I still think Carson Wentz is a very talented quarterback. But I just think he needs to change the scenery. He, he really does. And I, I, Doug Peterson, I, I, hope, did he, I hope he had something to do with that draft pick. But enough about the, the Eagles. I think I, we covered everything there. And, of course, my earlier portion of the podcast, I read off other people's thoughts that come on the podcast, but going back to the giants, a lot of the giant fans didn't like the Leonard Williams trade with the jets. What, what's your thoughts on him? And I, I think he's coming back and I actually think the giants won that trade. As crazy as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds. And, and when they made the trade, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think they were what two and five, two and six. And a lot of people are like, why are you giving away a third and fifth round pick for a guy that's going to be a free agent? But you know what, man? At the end of the day, one, you don't know. Maybe the Jets would have franchise tagged him. Or maybe, you know, maybe they would have done a tag and trade. And so the Giants saw an opportunity to get a guy that they thought was going to fit their scheme. Um, and, I mean, it's worked out beautifully. I mean, the guy had 11 and a half sacks this year. I mean, he was incredible. Um, and he fits the scheme very well. Thing I worry about with him, I, I got it's the dollars and cents. Like, if he's going to get twenty twenty one million dollars per year, you got to think long and hard there. I mean, there's got to be a limit. But I hope he's back. I hope he's back, and I hope we can get him back at the right price. Because um, he was he was instrumental uh, in in the, you know in, in the success of this defense this year. I would say he's probably the second most important player after Bradbury. Bradbury was a great signing, and I, I, I just want to touch back on Gettleman here. I hear a lot of fans say this was all Joe Judge's thing, and Joe Judge deserves a lot of credit for the Giants' turnaround. But you got to give some credit to Dave Gettleman. I mean, he's the general manager. He brought 
Joe Judge in, and I, I just feel like Dave Gettleman doesn't get enough credit. And we'll see what happens with him and the Giants. Who do you think is the favorite to win this division next year? Yeah, I'm completely with you on Dave, first off. I, I think – and I'm not saying Judge didn't have anything to do with the personnel decisions. I think he did. I think it's the same thing that it was with Pat. I mean, you, you heard stories about Shermer after the fact that him and Pat both collaborated on Daniel Jones. They both liked him. I think he had conversations, and they and they went over guys that they liked, and they worked together like a good coach and GM do. But I'm completely with you. People that say it's all Judge to me are just haters uh, on Gettleman. Gettleman's had an extensive career of being very good at evaluating talent throughout his career. He was a great scout with the Giants. Um, he turned over the, around that Carolina Panthers team. I mean, they they I think they had a losing record when he started there. Three years later, they were going to the Super Bowl. So he knows what he's doing. He's not a fool in terms of evaluating talent, at least in my opinion. I'm not telling you he hasn't made boneheaded decisions. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, but I agree with you on that. I, I think that uh, he doesn't get enough credit. Um, and, and I'm sorry, I forgot. What was, the, what was the question? Early season pick for who do you think could win that division? Yeah. Um, you know, right now, and I got to see how the offseason plays out, right? Because – Washington, who knows what's going to happen there with their quarterback. I don't think they're going to be drafting one, but now they're going to be picking 19th overall. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a quarterback there worth drafting that will, you know, come in and start. So I kind of got to see what happens with that. Obviously, you heard the rumors today about Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, I said in my video today that Washington, unfortunately, could make a lot of sense, being that they're picking 19th in the draft. They need a quarterback. But uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. But if they don't add a quarterback, they come back with Alex Smith or they come back with, uh, maybe a rookie, whatever, I kind of crossed them off. I, and maybe some people disagree with that because they won the division this year and people say, how do you, how could you say that? But I look at Washington, I mean, I think, the, I think they finished last last year, so they played a last-place schedule. This year they'll be playing a first-place schedule, and they, they're going to get the Packers, who finished first in the North. They're going to get the Seahawks, who finished first in the West. Um, I, I'm not, you know, unless they get a quarterback, I'm, I'm not head over heels in love with Washington's situation next year. Um I would, I would say the Eagles and uh, the uh, Cowboys and Giants rather. I, I, I think, I think the Eagles are falling off. I think they're going to be dead last. I think they're, I, I think they're in big trouble. I think the Cowboys, if they bring back Dak, which I think they will, um, still have the firepower on offense. You saw them start to rebound a bit with McCarthy um, in the second half when they got things going. They're not what they were. The offensive line has a lot more holes than it used to the defense. They got to address that in the offseason. But I, won't, I think Dallas is definitely in play. And I think the Giants. I, I think you got Cowboys and Giants as the two favorites. Yeah, and I, I really think that the, the rivalry has been reignited with the, the Cowboys and the Eagles because finally the Giants have made a turn. And I'm, I'm hoping next season that the Eagles and Giants play week one, Sunday night. Oh, I, oh sign me up. I mean, I, uh, I already said, I, I go to one, I, 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 I try to organize one tailgate a year uh, with my YouTube community. That's the game I'm doing. And um, you sign me the hell up for that game. Let's go. Man, it, it, that would be electric. That, it would actually feel like we actually have a home stadium. But I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm I don't really what, like man. our home stadium. I, I agree with you. I, 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 we don't get that loud. I, I can't stand the stadium, to be honest with you. But you you put that game on Sunday night. The the atmosphere would be electric, um, and you couple that. You, you saw what Joe Judge said during the press conference. You, you see how he feels. Um, I 
I think Judge would try to make an example of the Eagles. If he had an opportunity to run up that score, uh, kind of like Bill Belichick did with the Patriots back in the day, I think he'd do it. I, I think Joe Judge is going to have a mission uh, to make an example out of the Philadelphia Eagles next year. Yeah, the, I I couldn't agree with you more. I, I love Joe Judge. I think the whole fan base loves Joe Judge, so that's why we didn't really touch on them on him as much. But I, I think the Giants are really they, they got to make the playoffs next year. I, I think that that's a mandate for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, um, I I don't like to put like mandates, but what I'll say is th- they can't win six games. Like if they win. It's a 17 game schedule next year. So if they go nine and eight, and they play oh, really well, the 17 game schedule. I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe it is. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Okay. I think it is. I'm almost positive. Um, so if they go nine and eight, and they miss the playoffs the last week, but they have a respectable record, they play well throughout the year. Like there's a circumstance where I can see them missing the playoffs, but still having a lot of progress. And Daniel Jones plays well. I still think that's headed towards the right direction. But I'm with you. It's got to be no. No worse than nine wins in a 17-game schedule. Um, and you got to continue to show growth. Um, and, you know, obviously there's factors that go into a season. You know, what if Daniel Jones goes down? Or what if Barkley goes down again? Whatever. But going into the year, my expectations are, um, yeah, playoffs. I mean, not nine-plus wins. Yeah, and it, it's good to finally be talking about a mandate to – well, not a mandate, but an expectation to win nine games – an expectation to make the playoffs. It's been a long time that at least the Mets and the Giants at the same time have a mandate or have an expectation to make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Mets were going to be really good last year. And then, you know, obviously you had the pandemic. I think that screwed some things up. But, um, yeah, I'm super excited about that. Like, people ask me all the time, you know, which one of your three teams has the uh, highest probability of winning a championship next? I don't think it's close. Like, I think it's the Mets. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with Steve Cohen, but I definitely think they're headed down the right path. And I'm excited about my Knicks. Uh, Knicks, Knicks playing well. Five and I was just about to ask you about the Knicks. Yeah, they're playing hard for Thibodeau. Um, not that I'm expecting anything this year, but I really like the growth of that team as well. So it's it's nice to have. It's nice to see all three of my teams finally starting to be going down the right path at the same time. Yeah, but. I got a few more questions for you, then I'll let you go. What is your thoughts on the Wilpon era, in a sense? I asked this to the other Met fan that was on, and what's your thoughts about how Jeff and Fred Wilpon will be remembered? Because I think it'll be the Bernie Madoff stuff and not being competitive, like in the free agent market. I think that's going to be their legacy. But what is your perspective on them? Yeah, I mean, some of it's unfortunate. It's bad luck, whatever. You know, you got mixed up with the wrong guy with Madoff back in, uh, I think it was 2009. Yeah. And um, it, it is unfortunate. It is what it is. But how I'm going to remember them is selfish. Because, you know, I, I always thought they got a bad rap before that. Because people forget, the Mets used to spend. I, I mean, the Mets spent. You know, they didn't go above and beyond for, like, A-Rod. But A-Rod, it seemed as if, I remember when I was a kid in high school, he had, like, ridiculous uh, – like uh, requests, you know. So I understood it, but they, they used to spend. And then and then the Madoff thing happened, and then obviously now we start losing players like Jose Reyes to Miami. They break everything up, uh, so on and so forth. So my opinion on that was always that they were selfish. Like when that happened, if they really cared about the fans, 
and if they really cared uh, about, you know, doing what was right, uh, you know, for the city of New York, they would have sold the team because they you're charging New York prices. You got fans that expect you to go out there and have a New York New York payroll, and they nickled and dimed us for a decade after that. Um, so that's always going to be how I remember them. Um, you know, I, I do not like them. I, I think that they uh, they were selfish. Uh, I think that they should have saw, and it was unfortunate they were put in the situation they were. Uh, you know, I feel bad for that, but they should have saw because of that they they were going to do damage to the organization if they remained the owners. So that's how I remember them. I just I couldn't agree with you more. I give I I blame this more over the past few years on Jeff. I think Fred sort of took a back seat near the end, but man, Jeff Wolpon. I don't like to use bad words on this podcast, but I am this time. He was a complete asshole. I think we can agree on that. No doubt about it. All right. Next question. What is your favorite Giants memory? Ooh. Ooh. I got so many. Um, I mean, I give you several. I mean, you got the Tyree catch. That's probably most Giants, but at least my age. I didn't get to see the Lawrence Taylor days, but uh, the Tyree catch has to be up there. Um, but I, I I, I'm a big Eli guy. Uh, Eli Manning is my favorite, not just giant, my favorite athlete of all time. Like I, I love uh, Eli. Um, and to give you some of my I love favorite Eli Mets. Too. Yeah, I, I know you're a big Mets fan too, so I'll give you some of my favorite Mets ever. I, Edgar Alfonso is my favorite Met. Um, he used to love him. Uh, Fonzie Clutch, Jose Reyes I loved. Uh, of course, Piazza. Um, you know, those are some of my all-time favorite Mets. But um, Eli's my favorite giant of all time. And – there's two signature moments for Eli Manning for me. Um, one is the throw to Manningham, which to me to this day is still the greatest throw, maybe in NFL history, when you factor in the circumstance, the game, and, you know, it start out the, the game-winning drive with a throw like that, <laughs> first play of the drive, uh, just incredible to drop it in the bucket um, over the, you know, double coverage. And then the other one is kind of just a game, but it was, it, it was Eli Manning's signature game was the, I would say, it was the NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers um, where he got beat like a rag doll. Um, he, got, he must have got thrown to the ground 30 times that game. Uh, the 49ers defense was – I've never seen a quarterback get hit harder uh, throughout a game. And he With never turned strap, the ball once. What was that? I can, the strap when, like, when he called that timeout and his jersey was like almost ripped off. Yeah, yeah, he was a warrior that day. Uh, he had like 50 passing attempts or something crazy like that. Didn't turn the ball over against the best defensive football. Uh, he was getting hit left and right the entire game. And that, to me, those those two moments to me are uh, signature line moments. And, and just the whole 2011 season in general is by far the most special season for me because that was Eli's year. That was the year he put the team on the back. He carried the team. Um and one of the greatest years, I think, ever by a quarterback. That's how good he was that year. But, um, yeah, of course, the 2007 run, of course, was special, too. But I was always an Eli guy. So I, I'd probably go with the throw to Manningham for an individual moment. And I would go with the, uh, the, the game against the 49ers for an individual game. Exactly. Again, I'm an Eli Manning guy because the year he won the Super Bowl in 2011 – my grandfather and grandmother used to live next to Tom Coughlin's personal secretary. And okay. after the game, Eli's all pumped up. He says, here, take my hat. And he signs it. 
and that's in my room in the case. So I have this sweaty Eli Manning hat personally made out to me, which was pretty obviously that's one of my prized possessions and I have a Tom Coughlin thing. So Eli Manning to me, he was just a class act, in my opinion. He really was. And the streak, you know, there will never be another streak like that. The way that he handled um, the whole situation is, that it, like you said, I mean, it, it, the epitome of class. I mean, the guy had every right to point the finger, to complain about the way the New York Giants handled the situation, um, not getting them players to support him. And he yep. got all the blame from a lot of people in his fan base, and he didn't deserve it. Um, but he never, he never put himself above the team. Um, and I always remember that about Eli. You know, he was always a team guy. He was never a me guy. Um, that's why I love him. You know, he, he, he wasn't selfish. Um, and he was a competitor. And, and when the game was on the line, he, he, he can't, he, he produced, he produced as good as anybody when the shit, when, you, when, 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 the, when it, he needed to last two minutes of a game in his prime, there's not many quarterbacks you want more than Eli. Yep, I couldn't agree with you more. Your favorite Mets memory of all time? Ooh, um, there's so many. Um, I'll give you a couple. I mean, you got you, you obviously got the Piazza home run on 9/11. I mean, that's a tearjerker. Um, yep. You got the. Um, I got so many great playoff memories back then. You got the uh, the Grand Slam single by uh, Ventura. You got the Agbayani walk-off grand slam during that playoff run. You got Todd Pratt hitting over Steve Finley's mitt uh, in the NLDS to close out against the Diamondbacks. Um, obviously, the more recent, remember, I mean, Daniel Murphy, uh, <laughs> the Daniel Murphy uh, run there where I think he had oh, like man. six or seven home runs in like a six-game stretch or whatever it was. And you're talking about the best pitchers in baseball. Like, people forget that. Like, he hit two home runs off Kershaw. He had a home run off of Granke. He had a home run off Arietta. of uh, Arietta, Lester. Um, like, the best pitchers in sport at the offer. And uh, that, that was incredible. But in terms of being at a game, my, my, my favorite memory is probably 99. It was either 98 or 99. I can't remember. I was a kid. I was like 14. It was a Subway Series game, uh, regular season. And... It was, uh, it was probably in, like, July, you know, like, late July, maybe. And it was a pretty big game. Subway Series back then was huge because the Mets and Yankees were both really good. And um, Mariano had not blown a game in over a year. Um, he was that dominant at the then. Of course, Mariano was maybe the greatest pitcher ever. <laughs> like, he was that good. Um, he could still be going today, in my opinion. Yeah. I only did one pitch. They knew it was coming, and they couldn't hit it. And – uh it was incredible, but um, it was back and forth game. Yankees hit five home runs. Uh, Piazza hit one hit the lone home run for the Mets that day. But it, I think it was seven six Yankees going into the bottom of the ninth, and the Mets got a couple of runners on, two outs, and Matt Franco, who at the time was their best pinch hitter, uh, came up and fouled up a couple of pitches, and uh, he hit a seeing eye single between first and second base, and uh, they scored the they 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 had a walk off single in the. Uh, bottom of the ninth against the Yankees in a, in a really big subway series game um, against Mariano. So that, that's, that's, I always say that's my favorite game I've ever been to. And that was really the game that cemented me as like a diehard uh, New York Mets fan. I, I was always a Mets fan, but that I became obsessed with the team after that. 
again, my favorite memory, because I got this question too, so I'm just answering questions. Um, I was at the Chase Utley game after he broke his leg, the, the first home game. I bought tickets, and the upper deck was shaking. It was – Oh, I'm sure. That, that was my favorite game by far to, to be at. And I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite Knicks moment? Because for me, it's very hard to pick one, but I, I, I bet for you, you could think of at least a couple. Yeah. Um, another, another, by the way, that playoff from uh, 2015, I, was, I, I only went to one game. I went to the Cubs game one, uh, Matt Harvey pitch. So that, that, that was the game I went to. But that, that was a great as, game too. Murphy made the diving yeah. play to end the game. Yep, yep. And he had a home run, I think, in the first. Yep. Um, but as far as um, the uh, the Knicks, there's a couple of moments. Obviously, most people are always going to point to the John Starks dunk. And I remember that as a kid where it dunked over Jordan, even though he really didn't. It was kind of more so over, I forget who it was, maybe Bill Cartwright, I don't remember. But it was, yeah, obviously, that's a signature moment. But the moment and, and the visual, when, when you go back, and I, I, if you're a Knicks fan, you know this play, but if, if you don't remember, you know, who's ever listening, go on YouTube and watch it. To see the crowd all jump up in unison, it was almost like it was, like, planned. Uh, it's got to be the LJ four-point play for me. Uh, Larry Johnson against the Pacers uh, during that unforeseen uh, run to the championship against the Spurs when the Knicks were the eighth seed. And um, for Larry Johnson to hit that four-point play uh, to close out the game, that's, that's probably my favorite Knicks moment. It's very hard for me to pick one because they've stunk really since I've been alive. The only time I ever really remember them making the playoffs was it 2012 with Anthony yeah, and all those yeah, other guys. Yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was. The, I think it was the 12-13 season. Yeah. But I think I'm happy they're turning turning it around. And I got to ask, we're going to do one, two more rapid fire, then I'll let you go. Um, your favorite movie? Ooh. Um. I'm a huge movie guy, actually. I've worked at a movie theater for three years. Um, that was my first job. I, um, I'll i go with Lord of the Rings. I, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and I'll go with The Return of the King, the uh, third installment of the series. I've never seen it. I'm going to have to check it out. I've never seen that before. I would, um, Yeah. I don't know what your, your taste is like, but yeah, I think you'd like it. Give it a shot. And if there was one sports moment to, and this is the last question, folks, if there was one sports moment you could go to, what would it be? Oh my God! Um, wow. You could pick one for each: basketball, baseball, football. You know what, man? My dad was at the um, the '86 Mets. I, I I'd have to pick that. The uh, the Buckner Bowl. I mean, yeah. Cool. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, what that I, – I, I remember when I watched the highlights of Keith Hernandez saying that the stadium was rocking, and, you know, uh, he, he actually went into the the the, um, the clubhouse because he thought the game was over. He grabbed made the first beer time. and Yeah, yeah, everything. grabbed the beer, put his feet up on the – and uh, so I think I'd have to go with that. I, I, I mean, if Giants for me has got to be the uh, 08 Super Bowl, but it, I think that 86 Mets, it's just iconic. Like, you're – you're talking about one of the most iconic moments in sports history, not just baseball. And obviously the Giants Super Bowl is too, but I don't know. It's just, that, that seems like it stands the test of time. I, that, would be, that would be the one for me. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on both of them. And uh, that covers everything for me. Would you 
like to add anything? No, um, no, I, I just uh, want to say thank you for having me on. Um, and uh, yeah, your so YouTube you- channel and everything, uh, you can plug that for my listeners so oh, they yeah, can find yeah. you. Yeah, if you uh, anybody does want to uh, check me out on YouTube, I do, like like you said, mainly Giants content. Um, but now during the offseason, I definitely am going to mix in a lot of Mets. Uh, not so much videos, even though I am starting a new Mets podcast, which actually I'm going to do my first episode tonight. I was going to wait um, a little bit longer, but uh, the Lindor news came out today. So we're going to go live tonight with uh, two other Mets fans. So that should be fun. So if you want to check that out, you're more than welcome. Uh, the Entertainer Talking Sports with an AH at the end of it. But, yeah, I do mainly Giants. I do a lot of Knicks live streams. Like you said, I do the play-by-play. I do a lot of Knicks. Um, and I do the Giants. I do I do a daily video every day about the Giants if you're a football fan. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to expand, do a little bit more uh, baseball and basketball as well. But I, I had a pleasure coming on. Um, thank you for reaching out to me. And, um, yeah, I had a good time, buddy. Yeah, um, I definitely want to come on your Mets podcast because you came on mine. I'll definitely come on yours if you'd like. Absolutely. Um, yeah, now, like I said, we're getting we're getting all the kinks worked out. I got uh, two, two – like, I, don't, I don't have a huge Mets fan. I'm basically, you know, you watch my channel. I'm basically all Giants, but I'm going to try to start to build up a little bit of a Mets following. And, um, yeah, I'm going to have uh, two really good Mets fans on tonight. And, uh, yeah, if you watch, maybe check it out. But, yeah, I'll definitely – we're probably not going to go daily. Like we, I want to do it weekly, but probably not until, you know, there, there, there's, there's daily stuff to talk about maybe like March 1st, but I felt the need to go live tonight. You know what I do, and this is advice for anyone with the podcast and then I'll, I'll let you go. Cause I know you're a busy guy. Um, what I usually do is in the regular season, I, I do a Mets weekly recap because with baseball, there, there's a game every night and it's so right. hard. And if, if there's breaking news, I obviously do a breaking news pod podcast and obviously um, your interview is going to be coming out Sunday because I usually come out on Sundays, but I'm going to do obviously a Lindor breaking news stuff. And, you know, but baseball podcasts are fun. I'll say that. And I also do football as well, but it's like an opposite for me. I usually, the football is what I usually, what you're doing and the baseball is when I do try to do daily on the Instagram and stuff. Right. Okay. I'll definitely check you out, man. I'll definitely try to listen to the podcast more. Um, send me the link, man. Uh, definitely listen. I'll, and I'll shoot the link out on Twitter. All right. Thank you to the entertainer talking sports, him. He does a great, great everything. I think I, I listen to him a lot. Him and bad dog do a great stream every Sunday. And there are some days where I can't get the giant game and I listen to them. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. I greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate you having me on buddy. Have a good one. You too.